Okay, good morning everyone. Continuing our series, The Life and Torah of Our Leaders, and today we're going to talk about Reb Mardche Benet Zechreinu Levracha. Today, Yud Gimel Menachem Av is his 191st yard site. Um, I was Eichet to be at his kever in Nicholsburg two years ago, uh, a little bit over two years ago, and um, a lot of what I'm going to say today, I said um, on the way to the kever as well. So, Ramad Chavanet was born in the year 1753 in a city in southwest Hungary, a little village, Mamesha Darfel, and... Um, he was an anical or a, a descendant on his father's side from the Chacham Tzvi. And this little village that he lived in, that he was born in, was mamish empty. There was no there, there was no Torah there, there were no Chachamim there. Very simple shtetl um, that, he was, that, he, that he was born to his parents there. And um, his parents, or his mother at least, it's interesting, um, a lot I got from the Hakdama to one of his farm, the Tcheles Mordechai, written by his son, and um, over there it stresses it stresses um, his mother that his mother recognized who he was, and he was a brilliant child, and at the age of five they realized that there was nothing there for him in his little uh, city there. The, the name of the village is Sergio or something like that, C S U R G O or something like that. I don't even know how to pronounce it, and. Um, she decided that she's going to send him off. She, a five-year-old child, send him off. The Lashon over there is, Like it says by Shmuel, Chana and Shmuel, that she gave him to the Mishkan to be lent, so to speak, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu all his days. And the same thing happened with his mother. With his, uh, his mother also did the same thing, Ramartchai. And she sent him off to the big city of Nicholsburg to live with his grandmother, with his mother's mother, who was the almana of um, his grandfather, whose name was, um, Har- he was a big tzaddik, it's brought down, and his name was uh, Harav Avril, I assume that's a, a nickname for, for Avram, like Avramel or something like that, Benet. It sounds like that was really his maternal name was Benet. Um, so he went to live with his grandmother. His grandmother was very, very poor. There was mamish, no food in the house, but she realized that he was a special child, and she took him in to raise him. And, um, and uh, you know, whatever meager, meager portions of food and, uh, and lodging she had, she was willing to share with this grandson of hers. She sent him to school in Nicholsburg, and the fellow who was in charge of the Tzedakah Fund of Nicholsburg, um, his name was Reb Gavriel Mark Breiter, and he right away realized that this was a special child, and he saw he had a tremendous desire to learn, he was able to see on a five-year-old that he, he, he had this desire to learn, a year as Hashem that he had, and he decided he's going to cover his tuition, and he took care of his tuition. Um... The, the first year he began to learn there in Nicholsburg, he was already learning uh, Chumash, he was already learning Mishnayis, he was already learning Gemara, and um, for six years he remained there in Nicholsburg with this Reb Gavriel overseeing his education and paying for his, his tuition and his education. 
when he reached the age of 11, Rav Gavriel realized that they had exhausted um, the, um, what was available in Nicholsburg for this child. And uh, he sent him off um, to a place called Ettinger in Alsay, um, which is all in the west. And he sent him off there to his brother-in-law, who was the Rav of this city. And Rav Mardchai learned there for about four years, and he already started there writing Chiburim, writing Svarim. Now when he reached the age of Bar Mitzvah, again he came there at 11, so when he reached the age of Bar Mitzvah, he had already written three Svarim, three Chiburim, um, three compositions. One was on the Haggadah, one was on Torah, and one was on Chidushim Anchas, Gemarashi Taisvis. And when it came to his Bar Mitzvah, the Rav of the city, who was the brother-in-law of Rav Gavriel, made a very big bar mitzvah for him, with a big party, and he called all his friends, he called all the chachamim, they should hear the drasha, they should hear this special child, they should see his svarim. The problem was like this, the wife of the Rav was not happy with this. She was very jealous, because she also had a son who was a bar mitzvah bacher, who, who did not come to the capabilities and the and the, uh, and the uh, potential of Rav Mardchai, and she felt that her husband was neglecting her son for this prodigy child that he, uh, quote-unquote, adopted. And she was upset that he made such a big bar mitzvah for Rav Mardchai, and for her own son, she didn't make such a big bar mitzvah. He didn't make such a big bar mitzvah. So she was so jealous that she took his, took his three compositions, his three svarim, and she threw them in the fire and burned them. Again, these weren't printed, so that was it. That's all he had. She threw them in the fire and she burnt them. Now he was a 13-year-old bacher, boy, and he got very upset, is the Lushan over there. And he decided, now don't ask me the rationale for this, but he decided that he's stopping to learn Gemara and Paiskim. He's stopping to learn Gemara and Paiskim, and all he's going to do is going to learn Mikra, Tanakh. He's going to learn Tanakh. And he sat and he learned Mikra Tanakh with an unbelievable intensity, all of the Sifrei Tanakh, with all the Pirushim. And he became a very big Baki in all the Sifrei Tanakh, in Sifrei Agada, in Jerushas, and he would know where their sources were in, in Shas. But his main focus was learning Mikra, was learning Tanakh. Again, I'm not 100% sure why this was the reaction to what she did, what, what got him all upset, that she burnt his three, unless his three chiburim were more like lamdish a type of chiburim, and therefore since he saw how much time he put into it, and it got burnt, so he said, forget that type of learning, I'm just going to focus on mikra, that's what he did. And, um, and he did this for two years, for two years till the age of 15. And the age, age of 15, he suddenly realized that loizu haderech, this is not the way to go. You have to learn Gemara Rashi Taisvis 2 and Paiskim. Um, and you have to have a balance. You have to have a balance between Tanakh and, and, and Shas. You can't have one without the other. So he left um, He left um, that city, Attinger, and he went to another city in uh, Fyudra, it's called, in northern Germany. And he went over there to Rabbi Yosef Steinhardt, who was the Mechaber of the Sefer, Tshuva Zichron Yosef. And he became his Rabbi Muvuk in learning. A Rabbi Muvuk in learning, learning Shas and learning Paiskim. 
And he sat there and he learned Bishkei the Rabba with in- tremendous intensity until he already knew over 400 block Gemara Balpeh, and he became his Rebbe Muvak. When he returned 18, so this is three years later, Reb Gavriel from Nicholsburg, who had initially been the one in charge of his chinuch and taken over his chinuch, wrote him a letter and told him it's time for him to come home and find the shidduch. And he has a shidduch for him in Nicholsburg. And who was it? It was a girl who was named Sarah Finkel Prostitz. Finkel is, a, now it's like a last name, but it was like a middle name. Um, and in fact, if you if you saw the picture that um, the Rabbi Greenspan put up on, on the status of the Rabbitson's Matseva, it doesn't even say Sarah. I think it just says like a Shin Finkel, Maras Finkel. That, that was the middle name. So um, so this is going to be his Shidduch. And the problem was that she was only 14. He was 18. So uh, she wasn't really ready to get married. They got engaged, but she wasn't ready to get married at 14. They had to wait a couple years. But at the same time, Ramarachai didn't feel that it's proper for him to stay in Nicholsburg if he has a kala there that he's not getting married, to, not getting married for another few years. So he decided he's going to go to Prague. So he went to Prague. And one of the Chasheva people in Prague gave him a, a room to learn in and Talmidim from the Bismedjish of the Naida Behuda, who was the Rav of Prague at the time, used to come and learn with him. And at times, Ramartha himself would go talk to the Naida Behuda in learning. And he stayed there for two years in Prague. At the end of two years, he went back to Nicholsburg and he married his wife. So he was 20 and she was 16. After his marriage, he learned Be'ion and Be'agia Rabba. And this was something that identified Remard Chabanet. He learned with a tremendous intensity, tremendous, tremendous kayach and effort he put into his learning. So much so, the Reb Adler, Zechreina Levracha, was once traveling on his way to Vienna, to Wien. And on his way he passed through Nicholsburg. And he met Remard Chai, was a young man. And he said to the, to the Gabbai, the person who was accompanying him, he says, I'm very nervous about this younger man because if he continues to learn with such intensity, it's possible that he is going to get a certain type of headache or uh, um, he called it a chayli ke'ev chatzirash, a sickness that affects and aches half of the head. In other words, because he learns with too much intensity, I'm afraid that this is going to happen to him. And Kachava, it really happened about a half a year later, he got this chayli that Reb Nassan Adler said was go- he was going to get. And um, he lived with this chayli the rest of his life. And one of the reasons probably was because he didn't stop with his intense learning. He continued, and he would have tremendous, tremendous pain. And the, and the doctors told him he can't learn, and he stopped learning a little bit, and he only learned uh, uh, Mikra and Rashi. And But whatever he did, and it would go away, and then he would start again. And it was a cycle throughout his entire life, um, over and over, he would have this tremendous, tremendous headaches and pain. And he would say to himself, and he would say, it would be, this would be a common refrain. He would say, Baruch Hashem, 
Thanks to Hashem, Hashem hasn't fully removed from me the mitzvah. The mitzvah be mekabel yisurim shal ava kol yomai. That I have the ability to accept the yisurim shal ava on me my entire life. This is what he said. So Baruch Hashem, that I'm never really cured from this sickness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me. And he would say this, Besimcha v'tuvlev. He meant it. He meant it. And um, now it's interesting because aside from this, he was a very healthy, strong person. Very strong. Until he got old, and then we'll see later, he got sick at the end of his life with hemorrhoids and different types of things, stomach ailments. But besides for that, he was a very strong person. He didn't need glasses. His eyesight was perfect. He had no problems. The only thing that was his, this, this headaches that he used to get. Now besides for that, Besides for learning with intensity, his entire life he also tried to minimize his pleasures of Olam Hazer. He had very little sleep, as we'll see in a moment, his Seder Hayyim, very minimal eating and drinking, only the amount that he needed in order to survive. And, um, and we'll sp- sp- speak about that in a moment. Um, a little bit after his marriage... They offered him to become a Dayan in Nicholsburg, and right away, first thing, he, he, Pasha didn't have any money, and, and uh, he was very poor, but he said, I can't become a Dayan until I am a Baki in all four Turim, in all Arba Turim, everything revolves around the Dalat Turim. And then eventually, I guess he learned the Dalat Turim, and he became a Dayan in Nicholsburg. Um, and he continued learning, he continued learning, when he reached the age of 32, he was pushed there was no food in the house, and he became a Rav in a city called Londonburg. He was there for a year and a half, and then he was in a city called Schussburg in Hungary, back in his home country of Hungary, where he was born in Hungary. He was there for a year. And after the uh, Petira of the Rav of Nicholsburg, Rav Gershon Chias, Zichrayin Levracha, he became the Rav of Nicholsburg. And just like a tidbit of information, Nicholsburg was, was in the country, the area that was called Moravia, or Marin as it's called in Hebrew. Moravia is like what we would now refer to as the eastern part of Czechoslovakia. Now there's two countries, there's the Czech Republic and Slovakia, two separate countries, but before the war there was Czechoslovakia, and this was the eastern portion of Czechoslovakia, was called Moravia, and um, Nicholsburg... Anyone who was the Rav of Nicholsburg was automatically the chief rabbi of Moravia. And that's why if you look, in not just in Ramarth Chebenetz Farim, but you look in other Rabbonim of Nicholsburg, the Maral was a Rav in Nicholsburg, Taisus Yante was a Rav in Nicholsburg, later on Rav Shamshofar Hirsch was a Rav in Nicholsburg, Nicholsburg was a Irvein B'Yisrael, Rav Shmelk of Nicholsburg, whenever you look at any of their titles, it always says, Rav Nicholsburg Vehamedina, because if you were the Rav of Nicholsburg, you were the chief rabbi of Moravia. That's it, it was an automatic thing. So he became the Rav of Nicholsburg and of the Medina of, of Moravia. Now, the, the, the king um, was so, um, so nispal from him, from his Chachma and who he was, that he, he, um, he really gave him a lot of power. And there was nothing that was done in Moravia without the approval of Ramart Chabanet. Um, 
my understanding was that it may have been always this way, but for sure in Ramar Tchavanet's days, anyone who ever wanted to become a Rav in Moravia had to first go to Ramar Tchavanet to get Rishos. He had to take a Bechina. Ramar Tchavanet, Chsam Seifer, wanted to become a Rav, he went to Ramar Tchavanet. If you remember, when we talked about the Hafla, the the uh, the Chassam Seifer was asked by Ramar Tchavanet if he has a Yad in Agada. In other words, do you, I know you know Halacha, and we'll talk about this a little bit at the end of this year, what his Bechina looked like, but, um, he, and, and the Chassam Seifer answered, how could you be a Talmud of the Hafla and not be also have a Yad in Agada? That was his answer to Ramar Tchabanet when he was coming to get Rishus to be a Rav in the country in Moravia. So he, be, he became, the, the king had, he found favor in his eyes, and um, he made him, nothing was done in the country without Ramar Tchabanet's approval. Now, what was his Seder Hayoim? And then we talked about his intensity of his learning and what brought about those headaches. So he would get up about 2 o'clock in the morning, two hours after Chatzais, and he would learn, um, he would learn Sifrei Harif Rambam, Allah Seder, in order, the Rif and the Rambam in, in order. And for about two hours he would learn. It says he would have a drink after that, a coffee or a tea, and he would continue to learn until the Shachris. He was always the first one in the base Aknesis. In other words, it wasn't enough for him to be from the Asara Rishainim. It says he was always the first of the Asara Rishainim. He would then listen to Birchas HaShachar and answer Amen to all those who came to Davening. Then he himself would get up and say Birchas HaShachar. Um, after Shacharis, he would learn in Tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. He would be wearing his Tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. He would learn Tor in the order, Allah Seder. He would also learn Ramban and Balamor, um, Allah Seder of Shas, and that would take about an hour. He would then come home, he'd eat a little, uh, little piece of cake, maybe a, a coffee, and um, he would then go, he, in his house he had a little bismajish, and he would go to his bismajish there, and he had a special select group of Bachrim that he would learn with for four to five hours, sometimes even six hours, without stopping, without any schmoozing, nothing, there were no breaks. And not just no breaks, no one was allowed to bother him. In other words, he couldn't knock on the door and ask a Shiloh, or, or if he had some type of communal, communal need to speak to the Rav, he was not available. Once that door was closed, nobody was allowed in, not in Ruchnius things, not in any other worldly things. Once he was there, he was there straight four, five, six hours learning with these Bachram. After that, he would go back into his regular home, um, and then people would be waiting for him there um, with all different types of shilas that they needed to ask him, and he had to address. After about an hour of what we would call Kabbalah's call, of people being there, he would eat a little bit of lunch, only what he needed to eat, in order, like we said before, lehechrich gufoy, what he needs to exist. Um, what he needs to exist. And um, this is an interesting thing. The, after he was Nifter, um, a peddler came around to Pressburg and was selling the Siddur of the Maram Banet, um, Ramad Chabanet. And I think it was the Siddur Hashla he used to use. And the Chassam Seifer was very nispal and he paid a lot of money to get the Siddur. And when he opened it up, he found that in the cover he had written the following. Ramar Tchabanet had written, Hareini noider la I'm making a nether, 
that I'm not going to benefit from this world in Olam Hazeh, only only what I need for the health of my body. And the Chazam Seifer heard this and he called in the Dayanim of Pressburg, Rabbi Daniel Pravitz and Prostis and the other Dayanim, and he called them and he said, he was crying, and he said, how could a person make such a nether? How does anyone know how much his body needs to exist. The only way to know that is if a person has on him Ruach HaKadosh. Only if Ruach HaKadosh is the only way to know that you're eating exactly the amount you need to exist. Because if you eat any more, you're being over on your nether. And he was dispelled from this, and he was crying over it. This is who Ramad Chabanet was. And some Seifer only used the Siddur on special occasions. Once a month on Rosh Chaydish is to use the Siddur. But this is what it said in his Siddur, and that's how um, this nether that he made to Hashem. Afterwards he would bench. Uh, after he ate lunch, the, the uh, Ramad Chay would bench. Um, and uh, he would walk back and forth in the house, the, so he should his food should... Um, should digest, because then he went to lay down. It's brought down in Chazal. You shouldn't lay down immediately after you eat. You won't digest your food properly. So he walked back and forth, it digested, and then he was able to go and lay down for about an hour and a half. And then he would get up, and now he had been Isaac already in Tyra and Avaida. Now it's time for Gemilus Chasadim. And Gemilus Chasadim included Dine Tyra, Shalom Bayis. Um, he would spend tremendous amount of money to make shalom between people. He would be involved in staka. He gave out tremendous amounts of money, especially to Melamde Yisrael, people who, you know, uh, teachers and, and rabbeim, especially if they were poor. All this went until Mincha Ketana, until Mincha time. He would go to Mincha. There was a shear between Mincha and Mayriv. After Mayriv, he would have another shear with the Lamde Torah of the city in Paiskim, Rishonim, or Achreinim. He would write Chuvas until about 11 or 12 o'clock, and then he would go to sleep. And like we said, his day began at 2 a.m., so he only slept for about two hours. To so make a cheshman, how much he slept, two hours a night, an hour and a half here. And he, this is the way he, he was, he was melamed himself, that not to sleep too much at one time, because he didn't want to teach his body to enjoy sleep. Um, so therefore, he would never sleep long periods of time, two hours, an hour, an hour and a half. He didn't want to get accustomed to either eating and or sleeping too much because he might start enjoying it then. So that's why he did everything we would call piecemeal. Um, in his times, there were those who were, the masculine were starting up already and they were making um, major problems, especially they didn't want Shas and the Pirushim and Shas to be printed. And they said there's a lot of Foolish things in Shas which don't make sense. There's a lot of things negative the Goyim in Shas that don't make sense, or that are are are, are not just don't make sense, but they're uh, anti the Goyim, and they made a lot of problems. But as we said before, the king was was um, was held Remardchai in high esteem, so he asked him his opinion, and Remardchai was able to answer anything they brought up. Immediately at a pshat. Let me share a few of them with you, and some of these are famous divrei Torah from Ramad Chabanet. One of the f- most famous ones is the Gemara that says in Brachis that if you about dreams, if you see a pat, a kadeira in your dream, shalom, you should look forward that you're going to have shalom. There's going to be peace. So they said this is shtusim. You see a pat was have to do with peace. 
So Ramad said immediately, and he said that we know the word Shamayim, heaven, Chazal tells us is a contraction of the word Eish and Mayim. Eish and Mayim, fire and water, are anti-each other. Um, because uh, fire makes it that water dries up and steam and steams out, it dries up. On the, on the other hand, water extinguishes fire. So they're misnagdim zelazeh. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Oysa Shalom Bimraimov, He made peace with two contradictory and conflicting things, He created this new Metzius called Shamayim. That's Oysa Shalom Bimraimov in the heavens, Hashem made peace, and He created Shamayim. So, said Ramartchai, a pot does the same thing. Because you have fire, and you have water. Now you want the water to heat up so you could cook it. If you're going to put it straight on the fire, Either it's going to extinguish the fire, or the fire is going to make it that it dries up. So you put a pot there, and the water goes in the pot. So now the fire is able to heat up the water, and not extinguish it, and not be extinguished, and not dry it up. And you're able to use the water to cook. So the pot is the medium that makes shalom between the Aish and the Mayim. That's what a pot does. So therefore, Haraya Kedera, if you see a pot in your dream, it's a symbol of shalom. That was one famous pshat. In the famous one that's always used against the Jews, Atem Kruyim Adam. The Gemara says, Only you are called Adam, Ve'ein Akum Kruyim Adam. P- Goyim are not called Adam. It sounds like they're not people, you know, what are they, animals? Always used that the Jews and Talmud is against the Goyim. And there's many different pshatim, a famous pshat from Amir Shapiro, but Amar Chabanet said a very simple pshat. And he said like this, he said everything else in Lashon Kaidish, there's singular and plural. Ish is in one man. You turn into plural, Anashim is men. Isha turns into Nashim. The only thing that's not plural is Adam, man. There's no Adamim. And Adam is one man, and Adam is also, many men is also called Adam. The min, the, 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 uh, the species of man is called Adam. So he says, that Klai Yisrael is the only nation that believes in Echad, Hashem Echad, in Yichud. There's one God. Every other nation in the world believes that there's multiple gods, there's Shituf, there's partnerships. So he says, therefore, since Klai Yisrael is the one who believes in unity, in one God, they are the ones who are called Adam, where there's only a singular version of the word. There's no plural version. So we are called Adam because we are those who believe in the Yichud of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Akum Kruyam Adam, they're not called Adam because they believe that there's a plural. There's many different gods. There's many different um, powers in the world. So therefore, they don't get the name Adam because the word Adam are for those who only believe when there is unified, it's singular, there's no plural to it. Um, and... Um, and others as well, Taiv Shebegayim Haraig, it says in the end of Saita, it sounds like the best of the Gayim you should kill. So, what does that mean? And Remarchai says, no, it doesn't mean you should kill, it means they should kill. Which means to say that we in Galus don't are not able to judge Dine Nefashis. Only the Gayim, the 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 uh, the the governments that we are in that we are their guests, they're the ones who are able to judge death penalties people who do things, and do things wrong. And if there's no law and order, like we see today, if there's no law and order, um, you know, everything breaks down. 
So Toiv Shebegayim, the best of the Goyim, the best of the nations, Hereg, they're involved in killing. What does it mean, killing? It means to say that they're able to punish with death, the death penalty, in order to keep law and order. And if not for them, like the Mishnah says, Lulei Maroyish Belay, if not for the power of the government, everybody would just, it would be the Wild West, and everybody would kill each other. So Adarabi said it's not anything against the Goyim, it's our appreciation for what the Goyim do. And immediately he was able to answer all these things, and there were other ones as well. And the king said, see, it's not Shtusim, and he gave out a law, and the law went out that they're allowed to print the Talmud and all this for him. In the year um, 1819, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, to understand the Yiras Hashem of Ramad Chabanet, the son, the prince, the, the royal prince, who eventually was going to be the king of Moravia, Ferdinand V, he came to Nicholsburg. And um, and he was planning on visiting the shul. Everyone was all excited. The hidden were all excited. And there was a big COVID goddle going on in the city. The problem was that he was delayed, of course. And it was already coming mincha time. Everyone was in the shul. And Remarthe didn't know what to do. He said to himself, If I daven mincha, so then chas v'shalom, the prince is going to come in. It's going to be a slight to his honor that I'm busy with something else. Oily, it's going to be a terrible thing. And if I miss Mincha, so then what? What about Melech Malchi Amlachim? It's much worse if I am Pegay on his covered. So therefore, he went in front of the Amud as the Chazin, and he started Ashri of and he started Shtilishman Esrei. And um, at that time, in the middle of Shtilishman Esrei, the prince came in. Seems everybody else finished Shman Esrei, and everyone went to him, and people bowed down to him, and there was a big tumult. And you didn't see Ramad Chabanet was oblivious. He was in his davening. Mincha of second day Rosh Hashanah. He didn't move for a second. And then he finished his stillish Manasrei, his quiet Manasrei, and he started Chazar Sashats in a beautiful voice. And he did the whole Chazar Sashats. And the only thing is, he skipped Avinu Malkeinu, and he went straight to Aleinu and Kaddish Shalim. Um, Kaddish Shalim and then Aleinu, I'm sorry. And... Um, and then, and the, and the prince was like mesmerized, such a beautiful davening, such a beautiful voice, he couldn't figure out what was going on. And um, afterwards, he went over to, and, the, and, the, and the, the prince asked, who is this man? So he says, this is our rabbi, and he's praying, it's Rosh Hashanah, you know, it's a day of judgment for the Jews, he's praying. So after Ramadcha finishes his davening, he went over to him, and he bowed down to him, and he made the bracha on, that you make, on, on, that you recite, um, um, to um, on a king, and he translated into German for him, and he explained to him that today is a great, it's a very awesome day, it's Rosh Hashanah for the Jews, it's a great day, and he explained to him why he continued his davening, and it was Matzachein Be'enav, the prince didn't get angry, didn't get upset, Adarabba, he was happy, and, um, and, uh, and everything worked out. Years later, they tried to assassinate him. I don't know if he was king yet or, or not, but there was an assassination attempt on Ferdinand V, and uh, he was saved, it was foiled, and he said the reason he was saved was because of the blessing that the Holy Rabbi had given him years before. Um, at this time, Ramad Chabanet received, in, in, in Tafkuf Samachai, he received, um, or Tafkuf Samach maybe I'm not sure, he received a, uh, uh, a, a Ksav Rabbonus from Pressburg, they wanted him to become the Rav there, 
and uh, he stayed in Nicholsburg years later. Krakow also tried to get him to become the Rav, but he stayed in, he stayed in, in, in Nicholsburg. Um, the Chassam Seifer, like we said before, had to get Rishus from him to become a Rav. Um, and um, we said that he asked him if he's a Baki in Agada. Um, so, so he says, how could I be not a Talmud al-Afla, a Talmud al-Afla, not a Baki in Agada? The, the, the Bechina that he used to give Rabbi Mardchabanet to become a Rav or to get Smicha from him, he used to ask the person if he's a Baki in the Bach on all four Turim. He said an interesting thing. He says, if you don't know how to learn the Bach, you don't know how to learn. To know Lam, to know how to learn, you have to be able to learn the Bach and know the Bach. That was like his, his criteria. Um, the Chassam Seifer was Machnia himself to Mardchabanet. Uh, Chassam Seifer was maybe 10 years younger than him. But he was machni himself tremendously to Marat Chabanet. He called him Rabban Shakal Yisrael. In another place in the Tshuva, he says, which means like I bow down to him. Um, these are not titles that he wrote to anyone. Maybe Rabban Nassan Adler was the only one that he wrote such titles about. Um, and he also had a lot of Akar Satayv because Marat Chabanet fought against the reform very much. And there was at that time, there were Machrive Yisrael, you called them. He called them the destroyers of Klai Yisrael. There was someone called, um, there were different people that he fought against, the, the Ramarat Chabanet. And the Chassam Sarif used to say, Baruch Hashem, that we have in our midst such a holy Jew that's able to sense Apikursus 400 parsois around him. A play on the Gemara about 400 parsois. And um, he was saying that he could schmeck out, he could smell out Apikursus anywhere near him. Baruch Hashem, we have him protecting us. Um, before we get to um, to the end of his life, he wrote uh, some svarim. Not not so much as from him. There's the, he had a sefer called Magin Avos on the Lamentas Melachas. He has something called Bir Mardchai on the Mardchai. Um, he has Chuvas Prashas Mardchai and Chuvas Haramar. So not big svarim. Tchelas Mardchai Drashas. There's also Tchelas Mardchai Latayra. There's uh, numerous svarim from him, not not so many, but there are svarim from him. Not so much Taira um, was left over from from Ramad Chabanet. Besides Yamav, like I said before, he got sick with with hemorrhoids and and caused stomach issues, and they told him that he has to travel. The doctor said he has to go to Karlsbad, which was in eastern, I'm sorry, in western uh, Slovakia or Czech Czechoslovakia. And he um, over there, there were these um, these springs. People used to go there for for uh, for health reasons. And he went there, and he he wasn't there for very long, and he got very sick over there. And he was he was sick for a few weeks, and he was nifter there. He he went in Tammuz, and like in the end of Tammuz, he went, and he was nifter on Yud Gimel of. Um, now before he was nifter, he 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 said that he wants to be buried either in Nicholsburg or at least in Prague. Um, Prague was closer to Karlsbad than Nicholsburg was, and um, like Prague is uh, like in the middle of, of, of Czechoslovakia, and Nicholsburg is all the way to the east, and, and Karlsbad is all the way to the west, so at least he should be buried there. Now, it was a big tumult what to do, because in order to travel so far from Karlsbad to Nicholsburg with a mace, the government said you have to embalm them first, you can't go so far. Um, and um, so they had to bury, they had to figure something out. So they decided they're going to bury him in a city near Karlsbad called Lichtenstadt, and they're going to bury him al till they figure out what to do, uh, where, where to bury him. 
So they buried him there, Bekavit Gadol, and the Nicholsburgers were very upset about it. They're his, they're, they're, he's their Rav. He should be buried in Nicholsburg. Lichtenstadt said, well, he died here, so he should come here. He, he should stay here. And it wasn't such a simple thing. It wasn't such a simple thing what to do. It was different Nuschai, so what happened, the government got involved, and it was a big to-do of what, where, where could they move him. So they, 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 um, they asked the Chassam Seifer what to do. And in, in Chuvas Chassam Seifer, in, in the Kaivitz Chuvas, which is all the way at the end of the last Chelek, Simen Lamed Zayin, there's a long Shiloh. They asked the Chassam Seifer from Nicholsburg, the three Dayan of Nicholsburg, and there's the Chuva that Chassam Seifer wrote. Chassam Seifer wrote this Chuva in Elul. Um, he wrote this Chuva in Elul. So he was Nifter and Av. Um, less than a month later, he wrote this Chuva. And um, it's interesting, Tshuva, the Chassam Seifer has three points of why he should be moved. Number one is because while he was alive, um, even in Nicholsburg already, he said that he wants to be buried in Nicholsburg. When his Rebbitzin was Nifter, he said, I want to be buried, buried here near Reb Shmelk of Nicholsburg. Um, but the Chassam Seifer says the problem is that anyone who heard that is from Nicholsburg and they're in a Gabadover because they want him to come, so maybe they have no Nemonis. And he goes to Arichas about that. The second thing is um, that his son buried him al Tanai. So he buried him al Tanai, you're allowed to move him. That's a good reason. And the third reason is because Bechlal, you're allowed to move someone to go to Kever Avos. Kever Avosav, you're allowed to move someone even without a Tanai. And since all of his family is in Nicholsburg and his wife and this one, that's where he should be going. The only thing is, Chesaifer says that the Lichtenstadt people are saying like this, we always have an issue with the Goyim and cemeteries. And if they see you can move Mesim, you can move Mesim, so they're going to say, what's the big deal? We can move everybody out and we can destroy cemeteries. Or at least your Gedolim, you see you're allowed to move, and it's going to make big trouble. And Chesaifer says that, you know, it's Kedai for a Tzaddik to be Meiser Nefesh, for the Taivas HaKlal, and that includes even staying in a place where it's not Kavad of to be, it's not his family's plot, but stay there. So maybe that's a reason he should stay. Um, if you remember last week from Chaim Oiz, it was the same thing. He said the same reason not to move the Vilna Gain, because the guy are going to say, you could just move Gedailim and finish. It's not a, not a Teretz. So the Chesam Seifer wasn't sure what to do, and he says, therefore, that's a big reason. And if someone tells him that uh, they have an Eitzah to get out of that reason, so then maybe you could move him. And that's the Tshuva of the Chesam Seifer. There's a whole famous legend to this. And that is, supposedly, in Sefer Chut HaMeshulosh, from Einuk of the Chesam Seifer, he says that the Chesam Seifer had a dream. And the Chesam Seifer had a dream, and Ramart Chemenech came to him. Now, as a child, exactly when the dream was. Was the dream right away? And Rabbi Chabanet told him that, I know you want to be matter me to be moved, but you can't be matter me yet because of the following story. Um, there's a legend that the Chassam Seifer wrote the tshuva to be matter it, and then he spilled ink all over the tshuva, and Rabbi Chabanet came to him that night and explained why. There's a legend that says that the Chassam Seifer couldn't figure out a tshuva, even though he usually answered right away, and it took him a few months to write the tshuva, and Rabbi Chavanek came to him, explained to him why, as we'll see in a moment. The only problem is, like I said, the date of the Tshuva and Chassam Seifer is in Elul. It was less than a month later. So it sounds like it was Teich the Dinu Dvarim of the argument between Nicholsburg and Lichtenstadt. So the story in Chut HaMesholosh is that Rabbi Chavanek told him that when he was younger, he once broke, he was engaged to a girl from Lichtenstadt, and he broke the Shidduch. And even though he had a right to do it, the girl had Tsar. 
So therefore, he has to be buried in that cemetery for a few months as a as a kapara, and he's taka buried near that girl um, there. And once the few months are up, so then he could be moved. And either that's why the Chassam Seifer then was able to come up with the tshuva, or he told him, now you're allowed to bury me, you're allowed to move me. However, the story, again, which dream, how many dreams, a lot of legends. But that's what it says in the Sefer Chut HaMeshulosh. In the Sefer Pe'er Mordechai, which is a biography on Mordechai Benet, um, he quotes, he says, he quotes the, the, the Hakdama Tetcheles Mordechai from the son of Ramar Tchibanet, who doesn't mention this story. And he's bothered why he doesn't mention it. And then he says, and, and like I said, and I said, I remember saying this on our way to Nicholsburg, that I'm not sure, what, according to the whole story here, when did this happen? You know, if you remember, we started off and he said he was sent away and then he got engaged to the girl in Nicholsburg, to his wife. And he was going, when, when did this broken engagement exactly happen in, the, in, 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 in his life? I wasn't sure. It didn't work out so well, um, this story. So he writes over there, the, the Per Mardchai, who is a, writing a, a Taldus, or Mardchai Benad, he says it can't be. It can't be, it doesn't work out anywhere that he ever broke a Shidduch. And in fact, he brings down that he found the Sefer, that Reb Shimon Sefer, the Chassam Sefer's son, he said the story a little different. He said that Reb Mardchai Benad told the Chassam Sefer, I once gave a psak that someone was allowed to break a Shidduch. And I was right for that person, but still it caused sar, and therefore I needed, to the, needed the kapara, which is even like a bigger chiddush, because he didn't break the shidduch, he just gave a hetter to break a shidduch, but he needed a kapara to stay there those few years, those few months, I'm sorry, and when that was over, he was allowed to be moved. So in the history of the, of the, of the, uh, the biography, so to speak, of Ramad Chabanet that his son wrote, that works out a little better, because we don't find there's almost no room for the story of a broken shidduch to happen, and they're like all up in arms to say Ramad Chabanet ever broke a shidduch and went back on his word. So it makes a little bit more sense, so to speak, Rib Shimon Seifer's version that, um, and he says he heard it from his father, the Chut HaMeshulosh was an anical, he maybe got he had, you know, he heard already shmuas and stuff like that. So that is, um, that's the the uh, the version that Reb Shimon Seifer, the Reb Shimon Seifer has. But again, like I'm saying, I'm not sure when the dream happened and all that, all those details, because the Chuvan Chassam Seifer is in Elul, which sounds like he is being moderate, except for this problem of the Goyim are going to make issues with moving Gedolim. But um, eventually, the Chassam Seifer, it seems, gave out a straight-out hatter for it to happen. And a half a year later, Yud Beis Adar, 18, um, 1830, Tav Kuf Lamed, Yud Beis Adar, 1830, um, again, he was Nifter Yud Gimel Menachem of 1829. So Yud Beis Adar of 1830, he was finally brought to Kvura in Nicholsburg. And it has the story on the Matseva Nicholsburg that it took six months for him to get there. It doesn't say the details of the dream or anything like that. But it says that it took six months. They finally brought him to Kvura in Nicholsburg um, on uh, Yud Beis Adar of 1830. I just want to end off with, with a beautiful vart, a, a vart that I love from Marat Chabanet. The Gemara says that if someone gives a sela, a, a dollar to an ani, and he says, I'm giving to you on the condition that I want my schus for my son to live. So the Gemara says, I raise that Tzadik Gomer. He's called the Tzadik Gomer. And the Gemara brings proof from there that even because a Jew, even if it doesn't end up happening the way he wants, he doesn't have charata, he doesn't regret the mitzvah that he did.
But the question is, why is he called a tzaddik gomer? Okay, he got a mitzvah of tzedakah. He doesn't regret the mitzvah. But why is he called a tzaddik gomer? So Ramar Tchibanet said a beautiful pshat. He said, we're talking about a case here where the person who's giving the tzedakah, he doesn't have a sick child. Baruch Hashem, everybody is healthy. So what's he saying to the Ani? He doesn't want the Ani to be embarrassed. So he says to the Ani, listen, I have a problem. I have a son who's Rahmanul Litzlan sick. And I want to give you the tzedakah for the schus that my son should live. Meaning you're doing me a favor by taking the tzedakah. So the Ani doesn't feel like such a beggar. Here he's doing a favor to the person giving to him in order that it should be a tzchus, that his child should live. So on that person who goes so out of his way to make sure that the Ani doesn't feel like a taker, the Ani could feel like a giver, like he's giving back, and he concocts this whole story that he has a son who needs the schus, that person is a tzaddik gomer. Because that person is going out of his way to make sure that the ani should take the tzedakah in the most bakavitic way. You're doing me a favor by taking it. It's not true. He doesn't have a, t- a sick son. He's not really doing it for the schus of his sick son. He's doing it so that he makes up this whole story so the ani should feel good. A person who goes so out of his way to do that to so the Ani should feel good, that's Taka Tzadik Gomer. That's a Tzadik Gomer. That's the Varta Ramad Chabanat. And we should Taka Bizaicha that in the Schus today of his yard site, saying over from his Taira, saying over learning from his Sitkus and his Precious and his Godless Bataira, he should be a Melitz Yaisher, he should be a Magin for Gans Klayisho, we should be Zaicha. Schusa Yagin Aleinu Vakal Yisrael Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.